The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. Above ground fallout shelters, ways to secure food, and an update on World War III. You are listening to the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving so I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show originates at the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show airs on global shortwave stations WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, at frequency 7.490, and also on WRMI, Radio Miami International, on frequency 5850. And you can tune in to Key Radio, 89.3 FM, in Osage Beach, Missouri. And this show is also available on demand, on Spreaker, Anchor, Podpoint, Podpage, and Red Circle. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith and be sure to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I really appreciate it. Well, I've got a show that's going to be kind of all over the map again because things are just heating up on lots of issues, lots of fronts. So I'm going to be talking about prepping. I'm going to be talking about World War III. I'm going to be talking about just homesteading and gardening and just all sorts of things today, and I hope you bear with me as I kind of get through all my material. And my animals haven't seen me all day, and I'm here in the studio, and I happen to have some acoustic pianos in the studio, and my barn cats think they're piano virtuosos or something, because it seems like they will not stay off the piano keys, and I need to get up and just close the lid, but as long as they stay quiet, they can roam around in here. But it's really something. Sometimes I'm recording way late at night, sometimes after midnight. It's nice and quiet and dark, and all of a sudden, the piano starts playing. has a tendency to kind of wake you up a little bit, that's for sure. And also, my old dogs haven't seen me, so they have to be in here too, and they're panting. So I've got a lot of noise to cut out, I think, on this show. But 
I've been gone all day long and they haven't seen me, so I'm not going to kick them out because they're family. I'm going to start with an update. I bought an old tractor and I explained at last show that this old 1944 Farmall H was just super fast. And I looked through the internet, I looked everywhere that I could, and the only thing I could come up with is that someone turned it into a Super H. But as I compared the speeds of what a Super H could do, my tractor is still just much faster than any Super H. And so in passing, I mentioned it to a farmer friend of mine who happens to be an excellent mechanic. And he said, oh, well, someone just reversed the drive gears on it. So what they've taken is the master drive gear. They simply swap that with the gear on the transmission. And so they changed the speed of all the gears by doing that. And he told me that it would almost double the speed on the tractor, and he's right. And so that's what happened. It's not a factory model at all. It's just someone years ago decided to make a fast tractor out of it. And he told me I could switch it back if I want, but... I kind of enjoy my fast tractor because I can really move machinery fast, so I'm contemplating what to do, but I did get that mystery solved. And if you remember the old television show out of the 60s, Green Acres, Oliver Wendell Douglas, the main character, played by Eddie Albert, had a tractor. It was a fictitious name. They called it a Hoyt Clagwell. And it's really kind of funny that a lot of people thought that that was a real tractor. Well, Eb, the hired man, had a cousin show up. Of course, his cousin was also played by Tom Lester, who played Eb in that series. But he had a hippie cousin, and hippie was into hot rods. And he took that old tractor, that old Hoyt Clagwell, had steel wheels and souped it up to where Oliver got a speeding ticket for going over 90 miles an hour in this old Hoyt Clagwell. And I was kind of looking over my shoulder for the speed cops today, because I felt like I had Oliver's Hoyt Clagwell today. Now, before I get into my topics, I received an email, and it's definitely the saddest email that I've ever received. And I have some listeners that are dear people. They live in Washington State, and I'm not going to give their names, but they've been prepping. They're good Christians, very good. And they've been prepping diligently, and they had everything together, all of their personal protection, all their guns and ammo, all their food, all their supplies, just everything. And something happened, and a fire broke out in their house, and it was their bug-out location. It was their, it was their safe spot. That's where they'd already moved to. And the fire claimed the life of some of their pets, a dog and a cat, and they lost all of their possessions, all of their memorabilia, their family Bibles, just everything. They escaped with only the clothes on their back and their slippers. That's that's all they were able to save. And the email I got from them was not whiny at all. They were still living on faith and relying on God, and they were hoping that they would be able to help others prep, but now they're wondering what they're going to do. And it might take them a week or two to get back to me, but I've offered to do a fundraiser and devote an entire show to raising money to help this couple. And I haven't heard back from them, so, so I want you to keep that in mind that there are some very nice people in very bad trouble, and I would like to help them out.
And so I think we need to pray, pray for this couple in Washington. And I'll give you more information as I get it. But until I get it, okay, I'm not going to mention names or places. I'm just, it just is a very hard thing for me as I try to help people prepare. And some people that are just wonderful people are listeners and I get an email like that. And of course, I'm very happy that they inform me. And so I can hopefully do something for this couple. But I don't know what we can learn from this. I don't know what caused the fire. I don't have any clue. And a lot of us who are prepping, if our house or primary buildings burn down, we would lose everything. And I think that we all need to have a plan, a contingency plan, for fires or floods or anything that could come in and just take away everything we've worked for and strived for. And I don't know if this couple has insurance or not, but... A check from the insurance company is not going to replace the family Bibles or the pets or just the misery, the absolute horrible misery that you go through when you're violated by fire. It's unimaginable to me. And I wish this couple all the best, and I do want to help. And if I get the okay, I'm going to really ask for all of you listeners to chip in and help. Because why else does God put us on this planet? I firmly believe that God put us here to help others. And so hopefully I'll get the go-ahead and I'll ask everyone to step up to the plate. Well, I'm going to switch the show on to gardening. It's been raining so much here, which is odd to say because we went through several years of no rain, and I'm so thankful for the rain. But it seems that the weed seeds that did not germinate over the last couple of years because of lack of moisture have all decided to germinate at once. I've never fought so many weeds in a garden in my life. I did have a weed garden that had some vegetables in it, but now I have a vegetable garden that has some weeds in it, so I'm getting closer. My garden is almost exactly the size of a city lot if you would go in and if you'd go into a town and buy a lot to build a house, that's about the size of my garden. And of course, I do everything by hand, and and everything was so wet that I'd go out there and try to weed, and it was just mud. But when everything dried out enough for me to get out in the garden, I had weeds that were six to eight inches tall. It was just, it was very disturbing to see how fast those weeds were jumping. But I put in the hours, and I think I have it under control right now. To those who do not have a garden, I want you to think of this alternative. I want you to think about visiting farmer's markets or putting an ad into a paper or online or wherever you want to put the ad and try to find someone with a big garden that would be willing to sell you produce right out of their garden. I think you're going to have to get enough vegetables to can probably at least 30 days worth of food. Now, I'm an advocate of getting one year's worth of food if you can. But when I'm talking fresh vegetables that you can, I think that if you can get a 30-day supply that you can buy from a farmer's market or from someone that you see has a big garden, I think that that's a very good plan this year. I don't know what's going to happen at harvest time. I don't know if we're going to be in a full-scale war. I don't know if 
There's going to be nuclear explosions. I don't know if peace talks are going to break out. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that 2030 is getting closer, and I know that these imbeciles that call themselves the elites, who are dumber than a box of rocks, well, they're just hell-bent in destruction. And they want everyone to own nothing and be happy and eat Z-bugs. These people are just insane. And they will be defeated because they're just absolutely insane. But what's really sad about this is that none of this has to happen. The wars, the shortages, the economy going bad, it's all planned. None of it had to happen. But of course, the elites, the one world government people, they want to make this into basically a prison planet. I know Alex Jones had a site called Prison Planet for quite a while. I don't know if he still operates it or not, but I think he hit the nail on the head with the punitive taxes and the punitive laws and everything stacked against the common person that if you don't pay your taxes, well, they'll come and take your land away or throw you in jail or whatever. And in Europe, they have the VAT tax that if you buy something for $10 and you increase the value, and make it into a $20 item, well, they tax you on the increase that you put into the item yourself. It just it just doesn't have an end. But none of this has to happen. We live in a very phony, surrealistic world. And hopefully I'm going to live to see a day where we're actually free, and free from these greedy people. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I could sure hope to see that day. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I invite all of my listeners to go to my social media site, which is on VeteranBrigades.com. It's the only social media site that I trust, and you do not have to be a veteran to join. So go to VeteranBrigades.com, sign up, and look me up over there, and on that platform, I'm the Living Off-Grid Show, and I plan on doing lots of interactive things over there with you, my audience. So please go visit me at VeteranBrigades.com. Well, I said I had another plan, and... This is plan B if you can't find a farmer's market or someone that's willing to sell you produce out of your garden. I would go to a wholesaler, a grocer's wholesaler, and I would buy, if you can, full boxes in crates of whatever vegetables you would like to can. You can buy a 50-pound sack of potatoes, and then you can can the potatoes. You can buy several boxes of beets and carrots. You can buy them cheaper in bulk and then take the time to go ahead and process it and can it. Now, why I'm really big on buying it and canning it yourself is very simple. They're starting to put things in our food. And I've got all sorts of reports from just different type of institutions, and I've read different scientific things and just anecdotal evidence, and nothing seems to add up. 
there's not really a consensus of what's really happening, which actually bothers me. That means that whoever is doing whatever they're doing is putting a smokescreen out. And there's lots of disinformation that's going out about our food. And I honestly can say that I have crossed over the line. I can no longer trust corporate farming. I can no longer trust corporate food in any way, shape, or form. I can no longer trust corporate restaurants. There's something about these corporations that I never used to feel this way, but in all my studies, I'm starting to really figure out that when George Carlin was talking about that big club and we're not in it, well, it seems like all of the large corporations, no matter what they make or what they sell or what they do, they seem to all be part of that big club. And if they don't outright help each other do some of the nefarious things they're doing, they sure help cover it up. A good example is corporate media that stands up for all the corporate shenanigans that take place. As in Pfizer and all of the different big pharma. I know that people probably think I'm the biggest conspiracy theorist they've ever heard. And if that's the case, I wear that with pride. Because the only difference between a conspiracy and, and fact is about six to eight months. Almost everything that comes out that's a so-called conspiracy is proven to be right, time and time again. And so my trust factor is basically a zero. I have two small-town grocery stores where I shop. One of them I don't shop there very often because I don't make it to that town near as often. But my primary store, every time I go in, I, the owner is the person who waits on me and runs me through the checkout counter. And I can give him feedback on what I like or don't like about a store and items I would wish he would carry and so forth and so on. And he has got the kind of a store that is big enough that you don't have to go to a big box store. He's got everything. He doesn't have it piled to the ceiling, but he's got everything. And it's just a small family-owned grocery store. And he cuts his own meat and inspects everything himself. And so I do trust him. And I trust what he does. And I trust his instincts as far as being a grocer, because he was born into the grocery business. His dad owned that same store before he sold it, and then Jared bought it back. That's the grocer's name is Jared. He bought it back after his dad had sold it to another person for about 10 years, and Jared was working as a delivering salesman for Frito-Lay after his dad sold the store, and so he never got out of the food business. And I guess that's another plan that I would say that you need to have is quit dealing with these big box stores and going in and buying just generic food from who knows where. Who knows what people are handling the meat and so forth and so on at these great big box stores. Everything that they buy is pretty much inferior. They don't want to spend a dime more than they have to. And that's kind of how they do their business. Whereas my grocer... He looks for quality. If you have to pay an extra dollar or 50 cents, it doesn't bother me at all because I know that I'm getting more value for my dollar. A good analogy would be there's several candy bars out there, and most of them are all the same price. They're way too high priced. But there's several candy bars that are just basically junk. They cost the same as a really good candy bar. 
So why would you go in and spend the same money to buy junk if you could go in and buy a good one? That's kind of how I look at big box stores. And so if you can search out a small family grocer and get to know the grocer and become a loyal customer, it'll really pay off in the end. I know that if we have supply problems and things get really tight and anything that I need, I know that I can go to Jared and I know he's going to get it for me, if it's all humanly possible for him to get it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is get your ducks in a row, getting your food gathered. Because we're now getting into the middle of our growing season. And I kind of hold my breath from harvest season till the next growing season. Because I don't know what's going to happen to wipe everything out. And on a worst case scenario, what would happen if we get into a full scale nuclear exchange and we have what's called a nuclear winter for two or three years? I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you this, it won't be good. And so if you have a month supply of food, that's great. I'm glad you have it. But if you have less than a year's supply, I think that you're gambling. But if you buy a year's supply of food that is going to go bad, well, then you're throwing money away. So I think that the best thing for you to do is to, is to concentrate on long storage life items. And then once you get that year's supply, you can start rotating out and using the oldest things first. And then simply buying and replacing what you use. And so you have to take a permanent marker and mark your cans as to what month you have them. And all of this takes management. All of this takes time and effort. And I know a lot of people are sick of prepping. Absolutely sick of hearing about it. Sick of thinking about it. There's some people who have fallen away from prepping because nothing's happening. They don't think anything's happening anyway. And I have to just remind everybody that's part of the psychological operation, is having things happen when you least expect it. And so if you're expecting bad things to happen, and you put all your time and energy and thought into preparing for this bad thing, then your adrenaline is all used up and your emotions are all spent and nothing happens and you start thinking, well, I was a fool. You start self-doubting yourself. You start wondering just exactly why you were prepping in the first place. Then you let your guard down. Then you start using your preps up to where you're not prepped anymore and you think, well, nothing's going to happen. You totally get out of prepping and then it happens. And so there's definite cycles that are being used as far as a PSYOP against us. And so I'm not saying just to throw everything at prepping and do nothing else but that. Last show I was talking about balance, things that we need to balance our time and our money, our focus and our efforts. But I think if we cut back on our prepping and decide that uh, that's good enough, I'll survive for a month or two, I think that you're just fooling yourself. Again, I hope someday that it's pointed out that I was totally wrong, that nothing happened. I would rather be that man than to not tell you to prep and then find out later on that thousands of people have starved or have been inconvenienced horribly because they didn't prep and I could have done my part to help motivate people to prep. Then it's on me. So get your food in order. Don't forget fresh water. And also, if you can, find a place where you can build an interior fallout shelter. 
with sandbags. Now, I heard of this technique from the Canadian prepper, and I think that he's right on. The more I think about it, the more I think that he's really onto something with the sandbags. And as he says, sandbags are cheap. And so if you can fill up your sandbags with dirt and make it three foot thick all the way around, and if you have a concrete floor that would support the weight, and build an inside bunker, possibly in a garage or something, you don't have to go underground. You can bring the ground up to you. And so almost everybody that has a garage, even if you have a driveway, even if you have a pad of concrete poured in your backyard, I doubt if the city fathers would like you to start building buildings out of sandbags. You'll probably get a visit by the local zoning commissioner or something. So that's why I think it's better to make this inside. If you have a two-car garage, we'll turn that into a one-car garage and plan on using half of it as an above-ground fallout shelter. Now, this all depends on how fast you can work, where you're located, how the wind's blowing, and everything you have to take in consideration. But if we start having major nuclear exchanges that are, let's say, a couple of thousand miles away from us, and the wind's not blowing our direction, well, we're going to have probably a day to two days of absolute safety before any fallout blows in. But, of course, if the wind is blowing towards you, and also the explosions are closer, you have a lot less time. But if you're located in a place where the prevailing winds are favorable, and you're thousands of miles away from any target, which absolutely is hard to do anymore because there's targets all over the place. But if that's the case, then if you have a big pile of dirt and make sure that you have enough and you have enough sandbags, if you have a couple of days to build your shelter, you could locate your pile of dirt and have your sandbags ready and then just work nonstop and get it up and running. I don't recommend that, but... If you're hesitant on building an above-ground fallout shelter, well, that's your second-best option, is to just have everything ready so you can build it starting immediately. But I think a better plan would be to spend an hour or two every day getting a fallout shelter totally ready. And then if you never have to use it, so be it. You've got some good exercise. You have to look at it that way. I know that I'm simply amazed that Russia hasn't push the button so far. And so I think they haven't pushed it for the main reason is I think Russia knows they can win a conventional war. I'm convinced they can. I think Russia can defeat all of NATO. And I think Russia knows it. And also, if Russia gets into trouble, I think they can call on Beijing. And I think China will step in. So I think it's a foregone conclusion that Russia is going to win this thing. And if it comes to a nuclear exchange, well, Russia's ready and we're not. Russia has fallout shelters. They're fully stocked. They do drills on getting their people into the fallout shelters where we don't even have the fallout shelters. And if we had, they're empty. No food, no water, nothing. And with the way society is, you get a bunch of people that have no food and no water and shove them into some basement somewhere with no supplies. Well, you know as well as I do that nothing good is going to happen. Just think of all the refugees that they brought in, put into Astrodome after Hurricane Trina hit. 
there were awful things that happened in there. They had all these people just shoved into what they thought was a shelter, and it turned out to be hell on earth for lots of people. But Russia has more nukes. They have more capability. They have hypersonic missiles that we cannot defend against. They can defend against everything we have, and we cannot defend against what they have. And then I found out yesterday, they've had it for over a month, but I found out about it yesterday, that Russia has a spy satellite that's so sensitive that it can see anything through snow, rain, fog, clouds, and it can pinpoint things within a meter. And they're using that to target things all across Ukraine. So as NATO brings in munitions and missiles and tanks and airplanes, Ukraine can't hide them unless they put them all inside buildings and leave them there. But what's happening is that Russia is using the satellite to get the coordinates of all of these ammunition dumps and all of these places where troops are and the military bases and just everything. And they're simply locking those coordinates in as destinations for hypersonic missiles. And so there's just no way that you're going to be able to run and hide and try to surprise Russia with anything because Russia's mapping out all of the weapons. And also, since it's a satellite, they're mapping all over Europe. So things are not good as far as for NATO. And we keep pushing. Push, push, push. And I think that the reason that, oh, and I forgot to mention that Russia can sure win a war of attrition because that's how traditionally Russia has won their wars. And so I don't think we have a prayer of coming out on top of this unless we just simply give Russia what they want, which is security agreements, and quit pushing NATO on countries that are bordering Russia and totally back out of there, there's a good chance that things can be diffused yet. Because Russia really does not want to use the ultimate power they have. I've come to that conclusion. It's kind of like when you're watching a boxing match, and you have one guy that should not be in the ring at all. He's totally overmatched, and he's getting hit with everything the other guy's throwing, and the referee is an imbecile, and finally the guy that's winning the fight will start looking at the referee and gesturing and saying, stop this thing, stop it. And the referee doesn't, so he has to hit the guy again. Then he turns to the referee and says, stop it. I believe it was Roy Jones Jr. when he fought Vinny Pazienza many years ago that Vinny Pazienza did belong in that fight because he was a great fighter, but he was no Roy Jones Jr. And I know towards the end of the fight, Roy started really getting after the referee for allowing all this punishment that was happening to Vinny Pazienza that didn't need to happen. And that's where deaths and injuries come in boxing, is when a fight that should have never taken place or a fight that should be stopped is allowed to continue. And I do believe that Russia is using that same mindset. I think they know that if they start pushing buttons, it's going to be curtains for the Western world. And I really don't think they want to be guilty of all that carnage. I know that if I had the ability to kill as many people as Russia has, I don't think I'd use it. I couldn't have that on my conscience. And I don't know if Russia's leaders have consciences or not. I don't think ours do. I hope that Russia's does, and I think that's one of the reasons they haven't really unleashed what they can do. I think they're trying to 
get everybody to come to their senses before Russia has to feel that they have to push a button. But I'm just as in the dark as you. I listen to lots of people. I read a lot of things. And I am convinced of this. There are thousands upon thousands of young Ukrainian men that are dying needlessly. They're dying for NATO. They're not dying for Ukraine. They're dying for a cocaine-addicted, crazy man, and they're dying for NATO. And that's really sad. Now, this is going to make me sound extremely racist, and I assure you I'm not a racist. I don't have a racist bone in my body, but I have to call it as I see it. You have white men killing white men, and nobody has a problem with it. And we had that in World War I and World War II. And it does seem like that we have had a war on white males for quite some time. And as long as white males are slaughtering each other, I think there's an awful lot of people in the world that just turn their head the other way and just hope that all the white men kill all the other white men. I know that's an evil thought for me to have. But when I look at how much money is being spent and how people are cheerleading this senseless, needless war, this killing that shouldn't happen, a lot of the people that are the loudest cheerleaders are the ones that are the biggest race baiters and the ones that say that white men are the biggest terrorists and so forth. And so that thought does cross my mind. Well, when I come back after break, I'm going to be talking about other things. I sure appreciate you tuning in today, and I'll be back after this. I really need to know who's listening and where you're listening from, whether it's by shortwave or podcast or on AM or FM radio. Even if you just pop me an email and say hi, I would appreciate it. And as always, I invite listeners, give me some suggestions of topics that they'd like to hear me cover. I would really appreciate that. Once again, my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. Please visit the website, and the website is offgridliving.faith. And also, you can find links to even more information. Every one of my shows is uploaded on the website. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations and we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off, it's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way by mail check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902. 
by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea. Broadcasting from the Harmony Barn Studio near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. You're listening to the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show with Jim Calhoun. No! 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 That's right. There's no dinosaur media here. Welcome to part two of the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. This is Jim Calhoun, and thank you so much for tuning in today. I really do appreciate it. Well, I hope your summer is going well. I hope that you're getting some things done. I know that I'm doing my best to put up hay and take care of cows and, and take care of my two shows, as well as help Bob Behrman out with Truth to Ponder. So every day I just juggle. And I keep extremely busy going from thing to thing. Matter of fact, after I get through recording this episode, I have to go out and move a tractor about 10 miles and rake some hay and get it ready to bale in the morning. So, And then after I rake the hay, I will come back and start editing. And I'll edit until the early hours of this morning on this show. So that's kind of how I do things. I do it as I can. But I do enjoy being busy. There's one thing that... I never hear about when people talk about prepping. And if you're like me and you're an animal lover, you should prep for your pets as well. Now that's relatively easy to do if you use dry dog food or dry cat food. Although the dry food can go stale and so you have to really pack it away in airtight containers. But again, you probably need to get about a year's supply of dog food or cat food put back. And if you don't do that or can't do that, well, you need to learn how to make your own dog food and cat food. And there are lots of ways to do it that have just as much, if not more, nutrition than the store brand food you can buy. 
I have barn cats that have kittens, and generally the barn cats, they abandon their kittens right at the time when the kittens really need to have better care as far as they have to start them on solid food. Mama gets sick of nursing on them and kind of leaves them alone. And so every year I have to gather up little kittens that are weaning age or maybe a week before they're supposed to be weaned. And I tame them down and take care of them and get them on solid food. Well, I have chickens and sometimes I have more eggs than I can use or sell. And so my baby kittens get raised partly on scrambled eggs. I use that instead of going in and buying a 75-cent can of cat food. I just break I just break a couple eggs and I soft fry them. I don't fry them to where they're real hard. I just get them to where they're not too runny. Now, I would feed them the raw eggs, but I don't want them to get a taste for raw eggs for obvious reasons. If they get into my chicken coop, I don't want to lose any eggs. Because years ago, I had a cat that knew how to break eggs. And boy, I tell you what, that cat just fought tooth and nail to get inside the nesting box. And I don't know how it could squeeze through, but it could squeeze through almost anything. And I'd go in there to broken eggshells and a cat that would be laying in the nesting box. And I'm too kind-hearted to take something like that and blame it. And I just kept doing my best to keep him out, but I never did quite succeed. And then and then one day, a coyote or another predator ended up getting this tomcat. And I was still sad to see that the cat was gone, even though he was a nuisance and a pest. But I don't want a whole generation of cats around here that know what's inside an egg. Most of your commercial cat foods and dog foods are corn-based, which isn't the best for your dog or cat, but that's just the way it is. Now, I don't know what the current cost for bushel is for wheat and corn and things like that because it changes all the time, and I just haven't been paying attention. I know that it's been high as far as traditionally. It's pretty high right now, but it's a lot cheaper than dog food. And a bushel is generally 56 pounds, and so you can consider that one large dog food bag. So if you'd go buy 10 or 20 bushels of whole corn, you can store that whole corn inside these metal trash cans that have a metal lid. You could put them in a plastic trash can too, but you could store them away that way and then get yourself a grinder. And if you need to make some pet food, just simply grind the cornmeal up and go ahead and cook it, make it into a mush. Then you can add some meat scraps. And also I make my own lard. You can add a half a cup or a cup full of lard, depending on how much you have. And you can add some nutrients that way, plus your fat. And then you could also incorporate scraps as far as leftovers and or, like let's say you're peeling potatoes or peeling carrots, you can incorporate that inside your mush that you're boiling up. And if you put that lard in it for flavor, and I'd put some salt as well, your animals will really enjoy it and they'll eat it up. Now they might not get all the nutrients they need. There might be some things you're going to need to supplement, like if you have some wild game, that you have access to, or if you have a butcher shop that's near, you can buy butcher bones, things like that. There are things you can do to feed your pets really well, but a lot of people are so busy thinking about their family that pets kind of come last, which I do understand that, but I think that we all need to have a plan in place 
to keep our pets as healthy and happy as we possibly can. Because I think that one of the things that's going to help us mentally get through what I think is going to happen is going to be the simple love of our pets. Because our pets do love us and they show us that every day. Now me having cows makes it pretty difficult. Now I spend all summer gathering hay and so I don't have any issue of getting them fed or watered. But what happens if we have an all-out nuclear war? What do I do with a herd of cows? I know that these cows are going to be able to withstand more fallout than a smaller animal or a person could. And I could put them in more of a sheltered area. But as they eat the hay and also drink the water that I would have to give them, they would undoubtedly be ingesting some of this nuclear fallout, which would eventually give them all cancer or something. I don't know. And so that's a dilemma I've been thinking about for the last month or two is how can I protect my livestock? Because I really do take the job as their caretaker very seriously. I just know that if things get really bad, as bad as they can get, we're going to see death as far as human death and animal death and all the plant life and just everything that God created. We're going to see death on a scale that we could even imagine. And so how do you prepare for that? I don't know. But I do know that if you just look the other way or bury your head in the sand, that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. And speaking of things that are nefarious, I've been noticing a lot more chemtrails the last week or two. And I'm noticing a lot of pine trees. I'm talking about the trees that have the pine cones and the long needles. There's not that many of those kind of pine trees around here. But the ones who are here definitely are showing that something is killing them. Because lots of them have died the last year and a half. And in my studies, I found out that some species of trees are more susceptible to all the toxins that are being sprayed out of these plains. And they have mentioned that pine trees are one of those that suffers quite a bit. So I'm wondering if the chemtrails aren't killing the pine trees around here. That's another thing I want to live long enough to see is the people that are funding this, which is Bill Gates and his ilk. But all of the pilots and everyone involved, I want to see them brought to justice. It's absolutely insane what they're doing. The reasons for why they're doing it is insane. The fact that anyone is actually doing it that would take basically blood money to put toxins up in the air. I just think there's an awful lot of justice that needs to go around, and I hope I live long enough to see it. And that's one of the things that when I'm talking about prepping that just makes me shake my head. Are we prepping for chemtrail contamination, nuclear war, bank failure, violence in the streets, poison water, poison food? What are we prepping for? Well, we're prepping for all of it. And that makes it really hard, really tough. And also, as I stated earlier, it wears on you mentally. And a lot of people have thrown their hands up saying, I've had it. I can't do this anymore. And I know a lot of relationships as far as families. There's people having marriage issues and people having issues between parents and children and siblings and 
any other family relationship you can think of is being affected by all of this horrible things that we have to prepare for. And as things don't happen, it seems like that our naysayers get louder. But when things do happen, such as civil unrest or an escalation in a war or something like that, these people that are so fast to cackle at you about you're stupid because you're prepping and nothing's going to happen, when something does happen, they either act like they didn't hear about it or they just are silent about it. And then they wait for the next time they can cackle at you again for you being a prepper. So there are definitely people that are out there that are just doing everything in their power to belittle people that are prepping. And I hope that you don't have that in your family. I hope that's not your normal. But if it is, it's no consolation, but you're not alone. There's an awful lot of people going through all sorts of things. Well, I didn't expound on the garden very much, so I'm going to touch on that. As I'm weeding my garden, fully half of the weeds that I'm pulling are edibles. And so when I have the time, I will take these edibles and I'll process them. But the trouble is, is that this time around, the weeds have gotten so far out of hand, I just really can't take time to try to save any of these. But if you have a garden that has not got away from you, like mine is, I got it under control now, but I would say two days ago, I would definitely say it was out of control. But if you have your garden in control, identify every plant that you're pulling up, calling it a weed. Find out what it is and find out if it's edible or medicinal. And then simply consider that plant a product of your garden, the same as you would your corn or tomatoes or whatever you're growing. And if you only get a handful or two of small weeds, go ahead and cook them up or add them to a salad or whatever and just eat them fresh every day. And there's something that most people inherently know, but if you don't know this, I want to inform you that if you eat things out of your own garden, and if you eat natural things that are naturally occurring in your habitat, in other words, they're plants that are native to your area, if you eat those plants, it will help with allergies and everything else that you have to your environment. And it'll really help your immune system. It'll build your body up to defend your body against what it has to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. If you eat honey, the best way to have honey is honey that's grown as close to your door as possible, within a couple miles if you can. If you're lucky enough to have some beekeepers locally, go buy some honey from them. And make sure it's not processed honey. Make sure it's not flash-heated. You want all the enzymes and everything in that honey. And when they flash heat the honey, what that does is it allows the honey to stay on the shelf longer before it starts to crystallize. And there is a belief out there that once honey crystallizes, it's no good. And that is absolutely false information. All you have to do is put your honey in warm water. And what I do is I take something and put it on the bottom of the pan. And then put my jar of honey on that thing, not on the bottom of the pan, but as a spacer to keep it off the bottom of the pan. And then I just simply put water in and slowly heat the water up. After everything gets warm, and I'm not talking about boiling the water, I'm not talking about killing the enzymes, I'm just talking about making it liquid again. But that's the only downside to fresh, raw, natural honey. 
is the fact that it will crystallize a lot faster than anything you buy on a store shelf. But if you're buying honey from China or Brazil or another state, you're not getting near the nutrients and getting the protection that you would if you would simply buy localized honey. And that same thing happens when you're eating the weeds that you pull out of your garden as well as the produce you get out of your garden. It'll help build that immune system. And I think that that's something that we all need to do is try to build up ourselves as much as possible on a daily basis. I know a lot of people are not in good health. And technically, I'm one of them. Technically, I'm not in good health. But you wouldn't know it if you followed me around and saw everything that I do in a day. You would think that I was nuts trying to work this hard. But I know that if I did not do what I'm doing, that my arthritis would kick in worse and I would end up not wanting to get up because sometimes it's hard to move. Matter of fact, every day I have issues. And the more I move, the more I can move. The more I don't move, the more I can't move. And I'm just looking at that as an example of just everything. They say, use it or lose it. And so I definitely use it. And I think that you should do that on a daily basis, is get yourself back into physical shape. And while you're at it, work on your mental condition as well as spiritual. I think that we have to be in training, just like we're training for a world championship. I think we need to treat our body as if it needs to be well-honed and well-tuned to survive anything that is thrown at it. And so prepping for survival is a lot more than just having enough food and enough water. Your mental state has to be good. Your spiritual state has to be good. Your finances have to be as good as possible. Your relationships have to be strong and as good as possible. There are so many things you have to take into consideration while you're trying to be a prepper. And I sure wish that I had more answers. I wish that I could just go down the line and say, you need to do this and this and this and this and give you the reasons why. But when you look at the reasons why we need to prep in the first place and how varied that is, how many things that we are actually looking at, it just makes you shake your head and go, wow, how am I going to prepare for all of that? Well, I do have the answer to that. It's not by giving up. It's not by just saying, I can't handle it. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves and simply take it one day at a time. Get done with what you can do, and don't stress about what you can't. Slow and steady, that's what you're going to have to do. And I know I mention this on almost every show, but I do because it's so important. Don't forget your prayer life. Keep your prayer life really active. I know I'm speaking from personal experience here, and speaking from personal experience, I know that if I didn't have a prayer life and didn't have my faith, I don't know where I'd be, but it wouldn't be in a very good place, that's for sure. Some shows I try to encourage, some shows I try to inform. This show kind of was a combination of the two. And I do want to tell all of my listeners that I really appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening. And although it takes time and effort to put these shows out, 
I think it's a very good thing, and I know I'm helping people, and that makes me feel good. It not only makes me feel good, it lets me know that what the Lord is putting on my heart, I'm seeing some fruit from what I'm doing. And for that, I'm very grateful. And that's something we all have to be is obedient. If we're not obedient, things can happen that really can go, I would say, really bad for us and get out of control. And I think that that's one thing that I have noticed doing this show is that as I follow how I'm led, as far as my topics and so forth, I seem to be blessed with just friendship from different listeners, and I get fresh new ideas that actually help me out in my prepping. And so there's definitely good things that happen when we stay in prayer and we stay in contact with the Lord, and we just are obedient. And so that's one thing that I can say that will help you out tremendously. It's made a big difference in my life. And I really do appreciate all of the people that take the time to listen to this show and contact me. It seems like that that's what kind of keeps me going. There's times where I wonder if I'm just kind of beating my head against the wall because all you people that talk to people that are not preppers and you try to inform them, you know what I'm talking about. It's really hard to get people to pay attention to you and to actually consider the words that you use and they just kind of blow you off and it's really disconcerting at times when you're trying to help and you know that you can be a help and the person just looks at you and goes on just whatever and that makes it kind of rough but you have to persevere and you have to keep going don't let anyone try to take your joy away and don't let anyone take your plans as far as prepping and the things that you're doing with your life make sure that you don't let anyone or anything derail it. I would ask that you consider donating to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I take checks, money order, and cash. And you would write the checks out to Thunderbolt West Media. And you would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska. Hershey. Nebraska. And the zip code is 69143. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, stay strong, stay diligent, keep your powder dry, and most important of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small in Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.